So Luke chapter 13, verse 22 is where we're going to begin. And um, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Pedro's got some there. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where people, people ask you something. Some, some, something I noticed since, since I ended up having diabetes and stopped eating anything good or anything I liked, I lost weight. I lost about 55 pounds. And there will be people that are just strength, you know, like, oh, I haven't seen you in a while, or, you know what I mean, even, even the lady who has our, our, you know, where we've stored some of the trucks and stuff ran into herself, wow, you've lost weight, and, and the question, I've never had a skinny person ask this, by the way, but, but somebody who's like me, we'll just leave it like that, always ask, how do you do that, and, you know, it's kind of not like, well, oh, I got the special diet, or no, no, I just don't eat anything I'd like anymore. I got diabetes, you know, maybe you can get some too, and it's a new diet plan. You know, but we ask this question, how do you do that? And this morning, there, there's a couple questions or statements made asking kind of Jesus. There's two we're going to be kind of looking at. And the question, not always the answer you want, right? Or, or the answer is not always the heart of the question. You know what I mean? If I see somebody and they, they've retired and they're all this, how, well, how did you retire? How did you end up with this wealth and stuff? I'm not, I want to know if I can do it. Was it the lottery or is there a simple way? I mean, that's the, really the root of the question, right, is when somebody retires with a lot of stuff, you're not really concerned about how they made it. You just wonder if it's possible for you. And so there's these kind of these questions. And it's interesting when you look at truth and those things. I remember... Um, we put together a little flyer, uh, kind of a little pamphlet, outreach flyer, you know, and it, it was, you know, you trust your doctor about certain questions and stuff, but who, who are you trusting with eternity? You know, if, if, if I'm, you know, curious who's going to win a sports team, I might ask my buddies or friends or people that are into football or something, hey, who do you think is going to win this Sunday? And, and I'd probably get some answers and stuff, and that'd be good. But if I've now gambled my house on that sporting event, I'm probably not asking any of you in here who's going to win. You guys aren't experts. You might think you're an expert, but, you know, that. And, and same thing is, like, if I was going in for surgery, I wouldn't go sit down and go, hey, Ken, how's it going? I just figured I'd stop by. You know, I have this thing. you got a welder and a torch. You think you could just pull that out for me and, you know, help me out, you know? And, no, I'm going to go to somebody who's an expert in that, somebody who's trained for that. And the, many, the amazing thing is, so many times when you see people and you talk to them about the gospel or the Bible, they have very little information from anybody that knows anything about it. It always surprised me, well, yeah, I heard from a friend that the Bible contradicts itself. What? I mean, this is talking about eternity. This is talking about your life now, and you're, you're living in this situation and sin, and it's destroying your life and all this, and you've gone to somebody who knows, well, I talked to a couple of my friends. Well, are they believers? Well, I don't think they're believers. You know, they went to high school. I think they said his uncle was a pastor or something once, and... You know, it's like you've never actually even talked to anybody that knows the Word of God. And on the other hand, if you do know the Word of God, there is some responsibility there to be able to share it, to know the Word, if you are saved, to understand it. And so, as we kind of look at this and how important truth is, um, it, it, it's, a, it's important. And, and when we hit, hit some things this morning, it's kind of interesting. There is, the Bible is, uh, it doesn't hold back, and Jesus doesn't hold back many times. 
And um, this morning, we're really going to see that as, as we look at these two questions, you know, and, and especially in a society where we're at today where people are afraid of offending or hurting somebody's feelings. You know, and I, I said it before, you know, uh, Serena would be, have no problem hurting, hurting Robbie's feelings if he's going to grab a hot cookie off the thing because doesn't, she doesn't want him to get burned, you know. She doesn't care about his feelings, and you know. And now, though, we're in a culture where, you know, Truth isn't important. You know, could you imagine if you got your Garmin or your Google Maps, which those things are great. I'm sure they've saved so many marriages in here. You know, your guy's always lost. Now you have, you know, all those arguments in the car go away. But could you imagine you get on Google Maps and it's like you could take a left, you could take a right, or you could go straight. It's okay. You'll all get there eventually. I mean, you know, how do you feel about it? Which way would you like to go? I would like to go to the store. Well... You can take a left, you can take a right. You might not even have to go anywhere if you don't feel like it. I mean, it would be annoying, right? You want to know, I want to know how to get there. I want to know the best way to get there. If you can, you know, somehow direct me around traffic, that's helpful, you know. And not to say they're always right, and not to say you can't argue with them, but it's better than arguing with your wife about which way to get there. But, you know, it, it's one of those things. Truth's important, and knowing the way in our society is, oh, there's so many ways. It's, you know, every way's to God. We don't want to be offensive, you know. Uh, you know, what if they're Buddhist, or what if they're this? And we get these questions, and Jesus kind of gets this type of question, if you would, in a sense. In verse 22, it says, And he went through the, the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. So, Chapter 9, he says he's on his way to Jerusalem, his heart's set to Jerusalem. Jesus is heading that way, which is seeming like taking a long time for us. But in verse 23, it says, Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Question, how many are saved? How many, are there few? And it's kind of hard to see where this is coming from or the heart of this guy. And he says, Lord, very respectful term, but... And I can see, if you're following Jesus at this point, right, and he's talking about all these religious leaders as hypocrites, right? All these things that you thought were spiritual people, and you're finding out, well, no, they got it wrong. He said, these people got it wrong, and these people got it wrong. And at this time in his ministry, the crowds are starting to go away. The show's kind of going. What Jesus is, they're, 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 the show's kind of okay, we've seen the show, but now what he's saying I don't like. So people are kind of, if you would, like a salad bar going, okay, I like these things about Jesus, but not these things. So a couple of, you know, people are going, the crowds are starting to get lean. And, and here's this person, and, and he's sitting here, and he's, he's looking at it, and, and he's, here's, legit, is there a few that are going to be saved? I mean, if the, if the Sadducees and the scribes and these people are hypocrites, what are we looking at here? And at the same time, so that's, that's kind of one thought on this. The other thought is, at the same time, there was a theological debate kind of going on in the nation of Israel, in Jerusalem, that all Jews were saved. You were saved if you were Jewish. You know, they, they, this question, I'm sure, wasn't even thinking about adding Gentiles into it. We're just talking about Jews. Of course, if you're a Jewish person, you're blood, you're this, you're saved, you know, and, and you're good. And so there was this debate and I kind of think Jesus is kind of more, by the way he answers this question, kind of looking more towards that because the way it's addressed here as we see and how he talks about that and compares it to Jerusalem here. And it continues on in verse, the last part of verse 23. And he said to them, 
So not just to him, this one person asked, he responds to the group and he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Many will seek and not be able to. And they're like, he kind of turns that question around, if you notice. He goes, well, how about, what about all these people? Are there few that are saved? He didn't say, am I saved, right? The question was, was, was am I saved? That, that should be our most important question, right? But are there many people say, are, you know, are we all saved? Is the whole nation saved? Are a few saved? I mean, I'm kind of, kind of confused here. And this question comes there, and it's kind of a general question, and you run into it. You run into people who go, well, what about the, the Native Americans that were over here? Or, or what about this group of people? Doesn't God love these people or those people? And, and, and aren't they saved? And, and I love what Jesus does here because a lot of those debates, you can get in the theological debates of once you're saved, all you're saved, or all these things that the Bible says are ultimately a waste of time because Jesus already turns around and goes, what about you? Where are you at? He takes it, takes this one answer, and goes, what about you? Where are you at? You need to strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many will say to you, or I will say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. And it's not because they're, they're seeking and not finding, but they're seeking the wrong gate, the wrong thing. You know, and, and you kind of have this picture of a narrow gate. You know, you think of a, a, a large gate, narrow gate, and scenarios, there's not a lot of um, situations where we're into it, but, you know, a narrow gate, if, you, if you've had cattle or something, you could have two posts real close, and so that way you can go through and the cow won't fit. But you can't take a lot with you. You've got to turn sideways to get through it. I think uh, the, the one time you think of, uh, you know, think of narrow gates when you go to get on a train or you're going into, like, an arena for an event we were going up to, a, um, uh, I think it was Arco Arena in Sacramento for a, a Christian concert winter jam thing. And we had our kids with us, and that's always hard. You've got a large group of people, and then you come up to security. And what happens at security? They divide you up into little narrow gates where they can check you all. You're not going to get through in your whole group. They want to make sure you're safe. You don't have weapons on you or any of that stuff. And, and so you have, to, you have to get in a narrow group, and then you hope you know, your line makes it through the same time as your kids and you catch them on the other side. And, you know, me and Heidi were doing that once and we're like, yeah, finally get through, grab all the kids. And we get, Anthony finally gets through right behind us and he comes up and he goes, Phew, they didn't find it. I'm like, what? What do you mean they didn't find it? He pulls out a knife. He's eight. And, you know, he had a little pocket knife on him and they didn't find it. Maybe, you know, eight-year-old going to Christian comfort with it. And I'm like, what are you doing? Hide it. Put it away. Don't let anybody. Yeah, that's Anthony. But, you know, and, and so you're pushing through, and the thought is this visual picture of you're, you're trying to go through a gate. You're not going to make it with a large group. It's individual. And, and you're not going to be taking a ton of stuff with you. You're not, you know, you're not driving a U-Haul through a narrow passage or a narrow gate. You know, it, it's this picture that Jesus is putting out there, and it's like, you, the gate is narrow. You need to strive. It's going to take work. It's going to take thought. There's going to be a plan in there. This, this, word, um, this word narrow is, is, and striving, um, oh gosh, striving is, uh, it, it comes off as like agonizing. Agonizing. You're agonizing over it. You're, you're 
you're worried about it. It's a push. You're, you're trying to get in. Very much as if, if there is an event or something going in, you're getting narrowed down with a group. You're trying to get in, and everybody's trying to get in. And if there's not a single file line, you know, it goes like on the traffic on the freeway when you get eight lanes that go down to one. You know, you're like, you're supposed to go, I'm supposed to go, you're right, uh, there's supposed to be some kind of pattern to that. And then there's a guy that flies up along the side and you're praying for a police officer or something. You know, you're trying to get in there so you finally get out of traffic type thing. And so there's an agonizing, and, and it's not that you're, you're, you're trying to go by works. There is a gate, right? And it's got to be the right gate. And that's the thing is you can go, well, is this saying by works we got to strive, we got to do good works and earn our way? No, that's the wrong gate altogether. That ain't getting in at all. That gate's closed. That, that gate isn't happening. But to really slow down and look at your life and go, okay, to, to walk this Christian life is not an easy task. There are a lot of things that come at you. There's a lot of things that are going to steal it. And, and to be with the mindset that I'm getting through that passage, I'm going through it. And having that heart to be able to go through that right gate, to be seeking the right gate, to be um, purposeful in your life. What's the main purpose in your life? And, you know, so many times you, you know, sit down and it's, well, I want to have a little Jesus sprinkled in to my life, but he's not going to be the Lord of my life. He's not going to be the main thing. And Jesus is saying, no, you, you need to be set on, you're going through, this is... This is where it's at. This is what it's going to take. You know, when it says, take up my, your cross and follow me. Does that sound easy? Wait, wait, wait. That means i got to lay aside everything else. I'm going to put all these things down. I'm going to lay aside these things. And it says, many will seek and will not be able. Many will seek. Not because they can't find it, because they're unwilling. They're not able. And we'll see that later. Verse 25, it says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Now, this is shocking, right? It's like, knock, knock, you're there. And we have this example, we have this kind of example, and I think Matthew 22, it talks about a wedding feast, and, you know, here's the wedding feast, and the king's out there trying to get everybody into the wedding feast, and his friends and family, are, and the, all the dignitaries, the people who are supposed to come, don't come, so he invites a servant in, brings servants off the street, and then he shuts the door and doesn't let anybody in. You know, and it's, it's a shock going, you know, they're coming, their master, he's, he's going to rise. There is going to be a point where the door is shut. You know, and you go, well, God loves people. God cares about people. He's long-suffering to the last moment. He's going to keep that door open, but the door is going to close. There is going to be a point when that door is closed. The Bible says there is a sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit where someone's heart gets to a point before they die that their heart is closed. Pharaoh hardened his heart to that point. Judas, that gate was closed. Okay? Noah's Ark. 120 years building it. Town probably got together, had a little festival, look at the crazy guy building the boat once a year. Laughed about him. 120 years of ridicule. The, who closed the door on the Ark? Hand of God closed it. Whoa. Do you know, you look at some of the stuff in Ken Han and all that, the ark wasn't even three-quarters full. There was room in it. 
Nobody came. The door was closed by God and judgment came. There will be a time where the door is going to be closed. And they won't. It'll be over. The choice is made. And, and it's sobering, you know. And there's going to be many that are they're going to be shocked. They're, going to, they're not going to get it. But hey, I was baptized in the church. But my, you know, my grandpa was a pastor. But I knew somebody who knew somebody and... There, and it, you know, as we sit down and, and you, you go through the gospel and you want to share, you know, hey, God loves you and he, he's, he's chosen you, you know, he, he knows you. More importantly is the question is, okay, so do you want to get to know God? Yeah, I want to know God as my Lord and Savior. Awesome. The more important question is, does he know you? Does he know you? Are your, is your name in the Lamb's book of life, you know? And And because these people that were around, especially the nation of Israel, they they should know him. They shouldn't have been shocked, you know. And and, and God just brings that back. Here, here, what about you? Where you're at? You're worried about all these other people, all these other nations. What about you? Do you share? Is is it there? And the sad thing is, um, you you look at, at many, sadly, many that don't teach. The word of God, they, 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 you know, we'll bring you in. We're not going to tell you the truth. We don't give you the whole truth because that's offensive. That's offensive. And it's like, well, offensive? Well, offensive is, is sometimes loving. Being offensive is loving. Get out of the road. It's going to hurt. But that offends me. Well, it's going to hurt. You know? Verse 26, and, and it says, Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence. And we taught, you taught on our streets. You know, I, I went to Sunday school. I have memory verses down. We were around. You know, we were, we were in your presence. We, you know, we were there. But he will say to you, he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Man, I, that's... It's heavy in, in that sense of, I mean, you sit there, well, we knew of you. We knew you there. Can you imagine? It's like, like this, you know, just imagine, I've been, say I've been in the room where the president was. You know, I, I've, I was in the room where the president was. I saw how he ate. I saw which hand he ate with. I saw what he had for dinner that night, you know? And since I was there and I was in the room, I know of the president. I'm aware of the president. I've watched some of the things on television. And so, you know, I go up to the White House and I'm like, hey, yeah, um, Tim Glass here to see the president. I'm like, yeah, who are you? Well, you know that event a couple months ago? Yeah, I was in the back room at the table and I kind of saw him. Who are you? I don't. You might think you know them, but they don't know you. You know, well, you know, I went to church and I saw this and I, I did these things and I was present. You know, there's even those in the Bible that say, but we did all these miracles in your name. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. You know, the workers of iniquity, workers of unrighteousness or unrighteous in their heart and in their life. If you're not serving God, if you're, you're not made new and you have a new creation... There's only one thing coming out of your heart. It's unrighteousness. It's not right living before God. It's not right standing with God. And it's going to be in your heart and your life, and it's going to rule you. And when we look at these things, and you, you see it, it's, it's heavy. It's a heavy warning. 
And he's talking to these men, these people who have been with him. In verse 28, and it says, And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and yourselves thrust out. As a Jewish person, man, they used to think, you know, it was taught that Abraham was standing at the gate of hell, making sure, as like a secondary catch, that none of his descendants would make it in. That's what the Jews believed. That he would sort him out. Hey, wait, wait, wait. He's, you know, he's related. He can't come. That's what they thought. They had, well, you know, you're Jews. And, and Jesus is going, hey, you, they're, they're going to be there. You're not. They're, it doesn't matter if you're related. It doesn't matter if that's it, you know. Hell is a real place. A scary place. Weeping. Unending weeping. It should scare you. You know, and people go, oh, you know, sermons that are this and hellfire and all this, you know, scared straight, you know. Well, there's hell, it's real. And we've had this whole generation, this whole culture of seeker-friendly, right, to where we don't want to mention anything that might upset you. Now we're worried about offending you, so we can't even say it at all. You know, there was a, a pastor, um, um, he kind of shared, you know, he was sharing and, and teaching on this, and the Irish pastor, uh, Ivan Pearsley, I think. And um, as he was summarizing the service on how God's wrath is coming and there's going to be torment in hell and there's gnashing of teeth, well, this old kind of cocky woman stands up and goes, well, I ain't got any teeth. And he responds, well, teeth will be provided. You know, and it's just, you know, I like Dave Gusick. I stole that from him because this is heavy. At least it gives a little like break in it, right? It's heavy. Gnashing your teeth, weeping. You go through the scripture, you look at that. Hell's a scary place. It's the best scared street program in the world. And many times I think as a culture, as you, you sit there and you hear what Micaiah is going through at work with, with some of these inmates and how mental, they're just debased and deprived. This ain't nothing yet. I don't know, he probably couldn't tell him that without getting fired. You're going to hell if you don't change. All right? This isn't nothing. You got it good. You know? And you, you look at these things, and, you know, there's a, there's a, a sermon, famous sermon, sermon given by uh, um, John, John Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he goes through and pulls out all the scripture what hell looks like for sinners. Goes through, teaches it. He taught it uh, July 8th, uh, 1741 in Connecticut. And that began the Great Awakening. An area, coal mines, just people in utter sin and stuff. And he teaches it and basically goes, man, you know, recognize God's judgment how sin is and how horrible hell's going to be. And the only thing keeping you out of there, not when you die, but this second, is God's grace. That he hasn't put you there right now. And he literally, little old man, read his little sermon without looking up, and thousands repented. And I just wonder, oh, well, maybe we're in that age and that's what people need to hear. There are consequences for sin. In a nation where we don't want like consequences, we don't want to believe in consequences, you know, if you do something stupid and you can't tell somebody it's going to be stupid and it's going to hurt, because when it does hurt and it's stupid, we can't even tell them that their actions caused it, you know. 
I'm sorry, we apologize. Can you imagine that? You get to the emergency room and you've done something stupid and they're like, I'm sorry, it's not your fault, it's physics. You know, when you take a hammer and you smash your finger, you know, I mean, maybe we should talk to Einstein about that. We could get some physics laws changed, math on that. You know, E equals MC squared doesn't really work out. I mean, gravity, you know, it's not your fault you were born on this planet. We have this amount of gravity, and it hurts that much when you hit the ground. You know, we apologize here at the emergency room. No, it hurts. There's going to be consequences, and we're in a nation where there isn't, and judgment's going to come. Hell's a real place, and you don't want to go there. You don't want anybody else to go there. You know, in verse 29, we kind of get this glimpse. Jesus goes, and, and really just totally destroying the thought, the Jewish thought of who was saved, who was righteous and whatnot by relationship, by bloodline, by familiarity. He says in 29, they will come from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, and they will sit down in the kingdom of God. What an awesome thing. From the north, from the south, from the east and the west. That includes us, which is good. Um, you know, when we were going through, if you've been going through the reading every week, Matthew 15, 24, so, you know, the lady's there, the Gentile woman, and she's sitting at the table, and Jesus goes, you know, this isn't for you, this isn't for your time, and she responds, oh, even the bread comes. Jesus came for the nation of Israel, but right here he's saying, hey, I've come for them, but I've also come for the whole world, for the east and the west. There are going to be people that come from every tribe and every nation, the Bible says, will be around the throne of God. What an awesome thing. This is a, here's a little glimpse of heaven. You get to sit down. Then Colin says, we sit down. We get to sit down in the kingdom of God. And there, you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom there. That's another cool thing, that we're going to know each other. Some people believe you get to heaven, you have no memory of your past life. You know, God takes away all the tears and the weeping. I think it's, we understand and we have such understanding of God's grace and stuff that those things pass away. In that sense of it's just we, we have no clue what we're running into. We have no clue the truth of the situation and where those things would pass away. But we're going to know each other and we get to sit down. We're going to be sitting down in the presence of God with every tribe, every nation. That'd be a kick. Be sitting there with somebody from a different time period, from a different place, from... I don't know, some of you guys in historians you ever read about somewhere like, hey, there's this guy in this nation. I'd be curious what's going to be like to run into, you know, where were you born? Well, I was born in Israel and, you know, 200 years of this or that. I mean, it's got to be interesting to see. You're going to be a little cool to sit down and, and to see in all these tribes and all these church nations. You know, but your, your relationship... This was shocking to the Jewish people. They're thinking, hey, we're all going to heaven. Aren't we all just the Jewish people or some of the Jewish people? And now he just goes, no, but there's going to be many that will come from everywhere else. They're going to come from everywhere. You know, not I went to church. My dad was a pastor. You know, I, I share with people. And I'll end up talking to people. And it, what amazes me is when I'm out and, and I'm running into people and roofing or whatever, and you start to talk and you start to talk about Biblical things, and how many times people are like, oh, so what do you think about the gospel? Oh, well, my dad was a pastor, or is a pastor, or they know, what does that have to do with you? 
where are you at? And that's what God really says is, where are you at? Where are you, where's your heart at in these things? It doesn't no matter how, how many people you know, if you, you come to church every week or anything else, does he know you? Are you certain he knows you? Guess one way you know that he knows you. He disciplines you. He corrects you. He speaks to you. Are you in his word? And if God's speaking to you, your Holy Spirit's convicting you and changing things, then he's calling you out on stuff. You know, hey, I have a relationship. He knows me. How does he know me? Because he knows me. I mean, you don't, when you're a child, do you ask if your parent knows you? No. You know your parent knows me. They seem to have eyes in the back of their head. They catch me when I'm doing things wrong. Constantly get ratted out. You know, there's no question about it. He knows you. What's amazing is you have all these people coming from the east and from the west and all these places, right? But yet there were people, you know, you you talk about knowing God, right? Well, I knew God or I knew somebody in church or I knew something like this. How many people were fed out of that 4,000 that made it there? There are going to be people when you get to heaven, you're going to think, oh, this person definitely would be there and they're not. And there's going to be that person go, that person made it here? I mean, how many people walked, were around Jesus, through this whole thing, that aren't going to be there? There's one in this group for sure, Judas. Judas knew everything was going on, or he's right there. I mean, if anybody could complain, they knew Jesus, and that was enough. Well, I know of him, but do you know him? Do you have that relationship with him? And sadly, there are many people that walk in and out of churches and they believe, hey, because I'm in the United States, I already do this, I was born Christian. I wasn't, I'm not in Iran, I wasn't born a Muslim. I mean, I'm in America, I'm a Christian. You know, people you realize? In the United States, how many people of the population, what percentage of the population do you think identify themselves as Christian? 87%. Last checked, 87%, that might not be changing. 87% say they're Christian. 3% of those people can share the gospel. In other words, they can give you an answer where it's not workspace that I'm saved by God's grace. That's scary. Well, well, I'm a Christian, I'm knocking on the door, but I know you. You know me, remember? I was at that dinner party where you were. I was born in America. How many different religions are going to be getting there? Wait, 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 wait. Our door, we had our gate, we had our program, we finished the program, you know. Hey, we didn't have the gospel. The gospel is based on works, based on this. We had the wrong Jesus, Satan's brother, whatever. And they're out there sharing their gospel, a lie, repeatedly. How many of those people are going to be pounded on the door? Verse 30 says, Indeed, there were, are there, indeed, there are, Last, who will be first, and the first who will be last. There are some, not all, but they're going to be the last that are first, and the first are going to be last. And again, as you're sitting there, and these people, this, maybe even this particular man, sitting there looking at these Jewish leaders and these people you would think are, hey, they're going to be first, they're going to be the greatest in kingdom. Look how spiritual they are. They might not even be there. And there are going to be some people you would think, who the heck's that person? Why are they in that position? Well, that's the, you know, the little lady who, when she was still 80, was still cleaning the church bathroom, and she's right up there in front as a faithful servant. There are going to be people you will not expect in different places. And so Jesus answers this first question with a question, and he really turns it around back to, 
Who are, where are you at? And the heavy burden on that, when you, when you think of sin and, and hell and the consequence of those things and the scariness of it, should really sober us up. Because there are people we all know that are not believers. People we care about. Family. You know, one, one thing I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm always kind of shocked at how weird I am, I guess, in a sense. Dad's funeral, those things, I've always been, everybody, even the school ministry, Tim's always so level emotionally. He's like level, you know? And I think my family were waiting for me to have like this traumatic experience and blow up or something, you know? And, um, you know, level there, dealing with my brother, pretty level-headed, not a lot, you know? And I don't know if it's just because I'm always so busy and stuff, but his birthday was the beginning of this month, and I was slowing down, and it was hitting me a little more. And not just his death, but, you know, I got a, a picture, and it's my oldest brother, and it's my brother Mark, and all of us sitting on a roof. You know, my dad's gone. Both my older brothers have passed away. Thinking, man, there are not many people in my life that know me that are older than me. You know, there's definitely family, there's definitely brothers in Christ, but there's a different thing where, you know, those, those are the older people you looked up to and your older brother, no matter what, they're always your older brother. My brother Mark, I could kick his butt ten times over, but he was my older brother, so therefore it was impossible in my mind. It just, he won. I could have took him at any point, but that's just those people and they're gone. And at the same time, these people that are, are gone, both my brothers struggled. Struggled in their relationship. One of the biggest brother problems with my brother Mark was, man, I wish he could have just got back to California. He was trying to get here. Wish he could have done well in his walk at some point. Don't know exactly. I know God loves him. I know God wasn't going to give up on him. But man, there wasn't, you know, you kind of look for fruit. Where was the fruit of that relationship in his life? Same thing with my brother JC. The truth is, yeah, when I sit down, uncertain, uncertain. And there are people in our lives and going, okay, what's more important? What's more important? If you believe that God is that and he's really this and there's real, a real hell and it's a real place and there's a real heaven and it's real, what else is important? And not to say, I mean, God's never going to take away somebody's free will choice. But I'm going to make sure I know the word of God well. I'm going to make sure I'm a clear representation. I'm going to make sure I have... I'm going to be equipped. There's nothing else that matters. If there is somebody that's going to come, I mean, if you're prepping for the end of the world, then let's prep for the end of the world. Let's be ready with the gospel because what's coming is going to be dangerous. And okay, once you're prepping for the end of the world, if you've got your bomb shelter built and you can live a million years in it, maybe start making some room for people you care about and your neighbors. Okay. So you're prepping. I'm a prepper. I'm saved. I know where I go when I die. Good. Now what about the people around me? What about the people I care about? Am I taking the time to slow down? And one of the hardest things with family is, my brother would come around, he'd start talking about something, and I'd join right in. It's amazing how hard it was with family to be a good witness. How, how my witness would just crumble around him sometimes. You know, and we, we look at those things and go, no, I want to know the good word of God. I want to be equipped. I want to be ready when somebody asks. I want to be able to help them. I want to clearly be able to share the gospel. And that's just kind of what God's been laying on me this week with it is, man, I, yeah, I'm saved. I know when, if it comes to me, okay, I'm good. 
But what about those around me? Verse 31, it says, On that day the Pharisee came to him saying, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. There's two possible things here. One thing is, some of these Pharisees are for Jesus. That's possible. We can't ever take a group and say, well, all of the Pharisees were all against Jesus. Well, here's some that appear to be for him. Or they could have been warning him out of fear, right? Like, if we tell them that Herod is after him, maybe he'll react in fear and want to leave. Maybe this is the way we get rid of this guy. Is, oh, you're going to be killed. We're just... You know, trying to give you a heads up here. You know, I kind of go with the, the second one here that they're trying to scare him because look at verse 32 and it says, And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must go journey today and tomorrow and the following day. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. And so as he's sitting here and he calls him a fox, and I kind of think that he's kind of going after these Pharisees and explaining to them, going, hold, behold, I'm casting out demons. When has that happened? I'm curing people. I'm curing lepers. These all should be a testimony of who I am to you, not to Herod. It's not going to sit there and go, wow, look, there's demons casting out. Oh, that's great. This guy's healing people. And nonetheless, I'm going to be perfected. Even if you don't catch it now, I'm going to be perfected. I'm going to the cross. And then when that day comes, I'm going to be perfected. On that third day, I'm going to be perfected. And he, you know, he kind of responds, well, you know, not today, not tomorrow, another time. Kind of like, yeah, we'll get around to it. You know, kind of that interesting Jewish kind of answer here in that sense. Not today, not tomorrow. I'll go on a journey, and when I get there, I'll get there, you know. Kind of, it's going to happen, but not in his timing, in my timing. And, and he goes, you know, I, it can't be that me being a prophet is going to perish outside of Jerusalem. You look at the nation and the history, and every place kind of, you look at cities around the world, they're known for certain things, Right? When you think of certain cities, you remember certain things, you know, okay, if you go to New York, people go, well, the Big Apple or 9-11, you know, you look up, okay, what about Pearl Harbor? Well, there's this, you know, and when you thought of Jerusalem, you thought of, hey, we as Christians, we think of that's where our Savior died. Before this, you'd think of that's where they killed prophets. You know, that's where it goes. We think the same thing. That's where they killed the Savior, you know, and there, there's no one, and he goes, hey, he knows where he's going to die. He knew his place. And the amazing thing is, even though Herod, Antipas, so son of Herod the Great, who, who wiped out all the kids and everything were, when he was born, this is one of his kids, kind of Antipas, or, or like three, kind of, it was kind of spread, up, spread out between a couple of them. Um, you know, what's amazing with this guy is he calls him a fox, which is, it, it is negative. It's it is, okay, so you're kind of cunning and stuff, but you're weak. You're not a lion. You're not a ruler because of your power and authority and stuff. You, you've kind of weaseled your way in. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, he, he might be the, that guy might be the boss, but he's only there because he's a weasel, you know. He's only, you know, when he gets caught, he's going to be gone, you know. That, that kind of thing. Uh, there's, it's kind of hard to translate that term in, our, I guess, our culture in that sense, but... 
you know, he's kind of a weasel. And, and he says, you know, this is thing. What's interesting about this guy, Herod, you realize this is, this is the only time in Scripture you see God actually putting somebody down in that sense? Talk about this guy, right? And what happens when Jesus sees this man face to face? He doesn't say a single word to him. That's scary. God's looking at this man and, wow, there's nothing for him. That's where his heart's at. And he says, hey, this guy, okay, so he wants to take my life? He's a fox. He's a weasel. I'm not worried about it. But today I'm going to do this, and I'm on the plan, and I'm, I'm doing what the Lord has called me to. And he knew where he was going. It wasn't like, oh, he got caught up in Jerusalem and they drug him off and put him on a cross. He knew where he was heading for what purpose. He knew his purpose. You know, he knew the end that was coming and he was fine with it. And when he says, take up your cross and follow me, he took it up long before that day. Palm Sunday, when he was coming in, do you think Jesus had any doubt the day he was going to have that, that triumphant and free was going to happen? You think he was when he, I mean, when we, the only record we have when his young life is when he's 10, where is he at? Is at the temple arguing, you know, he's left behind, the parents can't find him, who put him in the back of the car and can't find him, you know, and he's sitting there arguing with the priest over scripture. He knew the day, he knew the hour, he knew where he was at. He knew that time, he knew, hey, okay, the guy wants to kill me, it ain't going to happen here and it ain't going to happen now. It's going to happen when, it, when God's plan is, when his will is. I have a plan and a purpose. You know, you look at those things. Ran the race. You look at Paul's life. The day and the hour was not in any man's hand. Paul knew that. It was in God's hand. When I've done, I've purposed to live my life. I've given everything up. I've laid it all aside. And this is the only important thing. It's the gospel and God's word. And he made that of utmost importance of life to the point of taking up his cross daily and following him, laying aside everything else. And what's amazing is, can you imagine if you were sitting there and a group of people there and you're thinking of the city and you think of the city and or a person, I mean, and they're going to destroy you. What would you have to say? What if you knew somebody was going to kill you and you could talk to him beforehand. What would you tell him? What would your heart be towards him? And this is where Jesus is different. He says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. As in, oh, Martha, Martha, this caring, oh, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather you like your, gather your children together as a hen who boards under her wings. So as a chicken would grab the, her little hens. So what happens is, because I know you guys all have chickens at home, and they're out running around with little chicks. And so you guys know this, when an eagle flies over and pick off a little chicken, or a, you know, a little chick running around, the hen will make a noise, and all the little chicks run, and she'll cover them with their wings. The eagle can't see them, protects them. That's how she hides them. And that's how God's talking. I want to protect you from what's to come. Right? So you have Herod's will here. We see it three times. Herod wants to kill you. Okay? We see Jesus wanting his will is to gather the nation Israel to protect them from what's to come. 
But then we see the people's will here. He says, but you, these children of Israel, but you were not willing. Oh, that kind of throws a wrench in some of Calvinism stuff. (laughs) It's both ways. So you look at it, but they're not willing. They're unwilling for God to protect them. He's chosen them. They're God's chosen elect people, and they're unwilling. And what a sad thing is here we see this, and again it becomes about you. I want to, but what are you going to do? It puts it right back on them, the individual. I want to gather the nation. Oh, Israel. He's not talking about the city. I mean, his disciples, when they got there, they're all looking up at this gorgeous city. Of course, they're thinking he's going to rule and reign. And they're probably going, wow, look at that castle. I wonder which side you get. You know? And he goes, don't look at that. It's going to be destroyed. There ain't even going to be a brick laying on another brick. It's going. This is a kingdom you shouldn't be focused on. But they weren't willing. These things and you think about that and you go and there's many times you sit down and if I were to ask you and you're to put O and put a name in that oh there's this person it drives me nuts I'm praying for them I'm seeking them are you diligent about that are you seeking that is that your concern or ah, you know what I'm good you know they let live, let live. I don't want to upset them. I don't want to offend them. The truth is, hell is real. And it's coming. And it's scary. And we should be willing to share people. Hey, that's dangerous. The end of this is horrible. Not just the consequences in this life, but the eternal consequences of that choice. And you do not know the day or hour you're going to go. There is no way I would, growing up, what I thought that... I want to be the last boy left in my family before. I mean, my life insurance, it's not even worth getting a quote. Your oldest living relative. None of it, none of us made it past 40 something. It's not good. You know, they look at you and go, life insurance? Well, let's see. Health wise? No. Accident prone? No. The DNA is no good, guys. Sorry, kids. No, but you, you look at that, you know, and you sit there and you go, wow. But you sit there and go, okay, time is short. Time is short. Verse 35, and it sees, see your house. Before, remember, he said, my father's house, and now it's your house. See, your house is left to desolate. desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Palm Sunday, they said that. That group came. He's coming in. They're laying down their shirts. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. After he doesn't take over, end up ruler and everything, they're like, get rid of this guy. Kill him. Didn't come in. It wasn't the king we thought. There's going to be a second coming. Well, they'll say it again. But it wasn't even a generation. It wasn't even a generation until Israel's laid bare. The nation of Israel's gone. Laid bare. Without a home, Jerusalem has fallen. But yet, they're back. You know, and it says, the Bible says, look, there's going to be birthing pains. One big sign of the birthing pain coming is the nation's back. You know what happens when birth starts? All your men in here that have wives, when it starts, is there a stopping it? Nope, it's going to progress, it's going to get there, and the contractions get closer and closer and closer, and then you're going to have a baby. 
The nation of Israel is back in the land. They're planning and trying to rebuild their temple. The time is near. It is coming closer each and every day. Okay? The water has broken. You should be driving to the hospital with her screaming at you right now. That's where we're at in world history as far as the return of Christ and the second coming. That's the point. And we said it's hard not to get distracted by the things of this world. And slow down and go, okay, if these things are a world, where's, where's, where are we at? Where are you at in your life? What's your focus on? And then we sit down and you go, you know, and it's sad state when you look at the church as a whole and go, where is its focus? Its focus is on what? Is it on Savior? Is it on people accepting Christ? Or is it bringing people in? When you have churches out there repeatedly where they just, oh, let's, let's just get the people in. If the people will get in, they'll get in place, and, you know, because of osmosis or something, they'll figure out the gospel. You want to see a scary study? Look at how many people in a church can tell you the gospel that they're saved by God's grace and not works in the United States. It's scary. How is that? So, for me, the challenge is, hey, time is short. There is nothing of any value to be holding on into in this world. And when I, when I look at things, and I don't know, you know, my dad passed away. A year later, my brother passed away. And for a while, me and Heidi being married, she goes, man, you know, something would happen. You get a call late at night, and you're, I'm worried. I'm expecting that to happen again. She goes, wow, you're kind of morbid in that way, honey, or something. And then her sister passed away. And then she understood. You don't realize how time short is until somebody you care about passes away and they're gone. And you're always, wait, this thing's, things come to an end. What's important? What's of value? You know, I sit here and, and honestly, I mean, okay, here and work and all the stuff and all the different directions, I can go, man, it's hard not to get burnt out and tired and go, okay. Or just even try to find a groove where I'm on kind of cruise control. I do this, I take this moment, and there, and this, and then I, I, what I find myself doing, I don't know, you guys probably never do this, but I find myself starting to make um, space in my life for junk I don't need. That's really what it comes down to. I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is a little space. I, I need a, it can't be about ministry all the time. I've got to have you know, some space in my life to, you know, just relax, to decompress, whatever the lie, whatever, I, you know. Because, you know, me spending time not in the Word, not in God, that's definitely going to strengthen me. That's the, you know, I'm going to definitely get fulfillment to survive this world, especially to serve in ministry by doing something of no value. I'm insane. It's funny, but I, I start to see these times and these blocks in my week expand. And I start to justify it and go, well, this and this and this. And I start to go, well, I'm burned out. Well, because obviously I'm doing too much ministry. No. You know, that's never been the answer. And I've had, I love you. I love people. But sometimes, oh, you guys, you and your wife are doing too much. Yeah, I'm doing too much. I shouldn't be spending time doing this. I shouldn't be spending time doing that. We watch too much TV that's pointless. You need this, you know. I don't know about you guys. I was surprised at first going through and reading through, okay, daily reading, this is easy. 
Now I'm like, at the end of the day, oh yeah, I'm the pastor, I better be on that. I, you know, so right before I go to bed, I'm reading it, I'm like, man, I was going to get up in the morning and do this, and how did that get on the back burner? And that's, you know, and well, you decided you want to watch some stupid show about nothing and a waste of time, you know, and even just driving in my truck. I find myself listening to stuff that's pointless, you know, turn on the radio, listen to politics, because that's so important. You know, no, there's more important things to do than that. I'm on there, I can think, I can get my speakerphone, we can have somewhat of a conversation with some people, maybe I need to call and check in on that person, I haven't seen that person. How about just pray for that person? God, what do you want me to be thinking about? What are you speaking to me? That scripture I read tomorrow, you know? No, you know, listening to politics and how messed up our government is is so much more profitable. You know, anymore, it's kind of, I don't know, I think politics are like sports. It doesn't matter who wins in the end. It's not good. It's just, right? In the end, it's going to have really no effect. God's going to do what God's going to do, and I know that's all pointless. Our government and all that. The cool thing is, you realize how many times you think of how much weight we put on that. I was thinking, how much weight, you know, so great, we're born in America. I could have been born here or there. There, Every tribe and every nation is going to be in heaven. You can't sit here and go, wow, you know, well, I'm blessed to be an American. no. There's Christians all over the place. God's using in all types of government, right or wrong and twisted. And not to say you shouldn't vote accordingly to biblical morals, but it's not important. But I see that. I don't know about you guys. I, you know, I'm just a sinner in that way and had to repent this week and still have to repent and go, okay. And now I know I'm going to be in my truck Monday morning thinking, man, you taught that Sunday. You better turn that off. Just me. But what an amazing thing. And and then, then the... The cool thing is, you get to be known by him. There's going to be that day where we stand before the great right crowd. You know, people go, oh, all roads lead to God. Yes, they do. But are you coming before the judge who's judging you and closing you out? Or are you coming to your Lord and your Savior? Because all roads do lead to God. But all roads don't lead to a relationship with him. All roads don't lead to where he knows you. When you get to that great white judgment throne, he doesn't go, oh, wait, wait, what was your name again? What's the spelling? Let me, hey, how's it going? Awesome. About time I made you come here. (laughs) Right? So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just sometimes just the sobering reality of of where we live and the time we live in. God, help us to have your heart. Help us to see those who are lost around us and grieve for what's to come. Give us your heart for the lost, God. Give us a heart for those who suffer, even those who want to spitefully use us and hate us. God, we thank you that you were willing to save us. Even though we were sinners and we do not deserve it, Father. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.